About two and a half years ago, Helen and I visited the island of Malta. And Malta has been one of the bases for St. John's uh, throughout history. And while we were in Malta, we found out quite a few things about the origins of the, uh, St. the Order of St. John. You know, way back in the 12th century, when Islam was wanting to take over the world, there were Christians in Jerusalem. The Knights of the Order of St. John were based in Jerusalem. And they were outnumbered 100 to 1. And they said, we do not want to lose this city. We want to hold this city for God. But ultimately, the odds were too great. And they knew that they could either hang on and give their own lives, or they could escape. And so they escaped to an island in the Mediterranean Sea called Rhodes Island. And they lived on Rhodes Island for 200 years. But during those 200 years, they would go off to defend Europe, Christian Europe, from the attack of Islam. And they basically said, look, we are defending the cross of Jesus Christ. We will not be moved. We are standing for our faith and we will not give way to this other religion that wants to take us over. And then after 200 years, they moved to the island of Malta. And they were on Malta for another 200 years until Napoleon finally conquered Malta but then the British uh, were given Malta and so the Order of St. John's is still found on Malta today. And Malta has some of the best medical facilities in the world. And a lot of people in Europe and um, the Middle East, if they're in crisis, they fly to Malta for medical treatment because the Order of St. John still runs a lot of the medical facilities over there. And so the Knights of the Order of St. John have made a significant impact on the world and on the Christian faith throughout the world. Their tradition of helping the sick, the weak, the helpless continues on today through the work of the St. John's Ambulance Association. And so it's our honour to have them, their representatives in our service this morning and for them to be able to use our building here in Topol. So we're doing this series on um, the armour of God. And modern warfare has changed significantly throughout history. In the old days and the time that Paul is writing about, it was basically hand-to-hand -hand conflict. People would be fighting with swords. They might use bows and arrows. They might have daggers and that sort of thing. But you usually had to get pretty close to your enemy to fight him and have uh, contact with him. And generally, the side that had the most courage, that had the best equipment and the best leaders or tactics would win. At the beginning of World War II, Germany invaded Poland. And it was only a matter of days before Poland fell to Germany, completely overwhelmed. 
because the Polish army had taken very little effort to upgrade. And the munitions of the Polish army were pretty much obsolete. The strategy of sending horses out against tanks and aircraft was utterly inadequate. In many ways, it looked as though Poland was just pretending to be ready for war. They could tick off the fact that they had an army, but they were totally unprepared for 20th century warfare. Are you prepared for the personal battles that you encounter in this life? It was interesting when we were living in Azerbaijan because one of the neighboring countries was Georgia. And the Soviet Union, Russia, took over both Azerbaijan and Georgia in the year 1922. But both countries got their independence in 1991. But when Georgia became independent, there was another area of land called South Ossetia that Russia hung on to. And that land used to be part of Georgia. And so Georgia said, we want our land back. And so they moved into this land with their tanks and their army. And then Russia sent a strike plane into Georgia and put a missile into the base of an apartment building, blew up that apartment building, and then they sent a message to Georgia, and they said, if you don't withdraw, we will do what we've just done to that apartment building to Tbilisi, your capital city. And so Georgia knew that they were totally outgunned by Russia. They had no choice but to withdraw. And so warfare changes throughout history with different technological discoveries. New Zealand doesn't want to invest a lot of money in munitions. We haven't got much of an air force or a navy. We actually depend on the Americans and the Australians for our defence. Just imagine if an aircraft carrier from a hostile country parked itself off the coast of New Zealand and commissioned fighter jets to bomb our main cities, to go up our three main rivers, which are the Waikato, the Waitaki, and the Clutha, and as they fly up those rivers and they see those hydroelectric power dams, they just put a missile into the base of the dam, they blow up the dam, all the water behind it comes racing down the river, New Zealand's bridges, communications and electricity suddenly disappears. And so that shows you how vulnerable we are. Our our greatest strength is our isolation, that we're on the other side of the world. But it's also the fact that we have some good neighbours that will help us if we ever need them in a time of trouble. And so, as we said last week, Paul wrote about the spiritual warfare while he was in prison. And he was looking at the guards around him, and he was looking at what they were wearing. And so, last week, we looked at how to be safe and secure in God's hands, we need truth. We need righteousness. We need to do what we know God wants us to do, what is right 
according to God's word. And also we need to remain in that zone of peace. And that will bring a certain amount of stability to our lives. But today we're going to look at three other items of armor that can protect us from spiritual attack. And the very first is the shield of faith. And in Ephesians 6 verse 16, it says, Take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, in those days, they would make a shield out of wood, but they would coat it with an animal skin or leather. And the enemy would, fi would fire fiery darts at their opposition. And so if those fiery darts were usually arrows that had been dipped in sort of tar or pitched, set on fire, and then they would fire the bow and the arrow, the, the bow would fire the arrow at the opposition. And so you're out there with all your mates and there's a big row of people going to war and you're going to have this big scrap with the opposition and suddenly all these flaming arrows come towards you. And so what you would do was you'd hold up your shield to block that arrow. But the arrow would stick into your shield and it could set your shield on fire. And that's why they would soak those animal skins in water so that the shield would not, would, would not burn. And our enemy, the devil, still likes to fire flaming arrows or fiery darts at us today. And these can start fires of gossip, of slander, fear, and they can divide families and organizations. As we serve God, we will come under spiritual attack and opposition from our enemies. This can come in the form of bad thoughts, dangerous temptations, or desires to do things that we know are wrong. We've seen someone start a fire in the National Party during the last week, and things are turning to custard, aren't they? All sorts of dirty secrets are coming out, and everyone is being damaged uh, by what has happened. And so often in battle in ancient times, those arrows were also fired at wooden buildings to set them alight. Or um, they could set the bush or the grass around where the soldiers were on fire. Imagine being in battle and you've got a sword in one hand and you've got a shield in the other, but your shield is on fire because it's been hit by a flaming arrow. Imagine the grass and bush burning around you, filling your lungs with smoke. How many fires has the enemy started in your life? Fires that bring confusion, fires that cause panic, that wear you down and waste your time. They may come through your finances or through an unemployment situation through your marriage and relationships. And we may take our eyes off the peace that Jesus offers us through our faith in him and focus on the blaze. Often a blaze may seem to be burning violently, 
But even then, it's still under God's control. And God would say to each one of us, don't panic. I'm here with you. It's hard not to panic if our faith is weak. And so that's why it's called the shield of faith. We're to have faith in God throughout our difficult circumstances. But sometimes we throw our shield away. We find it hard to trust at times. We find it hard to fully believe in a God through all those fires that we encounter in life. Sometimes people throw their shield away and try and hide behind another person for protection. But God wants us to stand on our own, to exercise our faith in him. And so make sure that your own shield is in place by strengthening your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you may not have a faith in Jesus Christ. As a pastor, I've often been at the bedside of people at the end of their life. And it's amazing that people who know Jesus, people who have a hope of a future in him, are at peace when they come to the end of this life. Whereas if you don't have a faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't know what the future holds, then it can be a very disturbing time for you. So how do we use this shield of faith? Whenever the enemy fires a fiery dart at us, we say, God, I believe in your faithfulness. I trust in your protection. And faith is simply trusting God who assures those of us who trust in him that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That's what he has promised in his word. And you know, the Roman army would fight side by side and they all had quite large shields. And so they could hold up their shields and advance towards the enemy, knowing that they were protected by this whole layer of shields. But the Romans would only wear armor in the front because they were supposed to always be going forward. If you turned around and ran, your back was exposed. If the person beside you uh, ran, then there's a gap in the line. But if you're marching forward with your shields together, you were a force that could conquer most other armies. And so you would move forward until you got to a, po a point where you could embrace the enemy. And exercising faith in God is not something that we're supposed to do on our own. We are here to help and to support each other. And as a church community, we're to spur each other on in faith and confidence. Our mighty, merciful God says in Romans 8 verse 37, I will go with you into the battle. There's a, that verse is on the slide there. I will go with you into the battle because I have conquered the enemy. You are more than conquerors through my son Jesus. And so God goes with us into any battle that we experience. The next item of armor that Paul tells us about in Ephesians chapter 6 is the helmet of salvation. <clears throat> and this helmet of salvation is to protect 
our head and our minds. In Roman times, the helmet protected the head against arrows and axes and swords. And the helmet of salvation represents our assurance of salvation, our being saved by Jesus Christ. I guess most people do wonder about what happens when this life ends. Would you be more peaceful if you had an assurance that a better life awaits you when this life ends? You know, there's been a, an incredible increase in youth suicide in our country. And there is a corresponding correlation um, with atheism. If you don't believe in the, the, that there's a God, if you don't believe that this world has a creator, then you think that there's nothing when this life ends. I was at uh, Debrett's Pools the other night and I had a chat to some guy I'd never met before. And, uh, and he found out that I was a part, well, he asked me what I did and I said I was the pastor of the Baptist Church. And so we had a deep and meaningful conversation. And, and so if you don't believe in a God, you don't believe that there's anything beyond death. I said to him, what do you think happens when you die? He said, well, where was I before I was born? He said, I go back into that place of nothingness. I said, but there's three parts to you. You've got a body, you've got a soul, and a spirit. This, you know, you can, you can dismiss it like that. But in the Bible it says, God says, if you seek me, you will find me. And this is something that deep down we all need the answer for. To have true peace, we need to answer that question. What happens when I die? Is there a God? We can't just dismiss it. And if you do seek for that answer, God will re reveal himself to you. For many people, though, life is hopeless. And people say, well, if I've got, if I've got nothing good to look forward to, then why don't I just take my own life? If there's no God, if there's no future, if there's no heaven, there's no hell, well, it's better not to be here than to put up with the pain that I'm going through. We all need a faith in God, a hope and a trust for the future. Second Peter 1 verse 10 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. If you have a really strong faith in God beyond the circumstances of life, God will take you through those circumstances. He's not saying you're not going to have difficulties. He's saying when you do have difficulties, I am with you. I will support you. I will see you through those difficult times. And so the enemy would often target the head of the opponent. The head bleeds more profusely than most parts of the body. And a soldier's mind affects his decisions, his emotions, and his willingness to persevere in battle and in life. And so the enemy will attempt to fill our minds with unbelief, with fears and doubt. We're not to use... Um, we're not much use if, if we're paranoid or fearful of our enemies. We can have fears where we're so fearful 
that we are immobilized. We are too scared to do anything. And so the helmet of salvation will hold us firm in our right mind and in our right belief. Our emotional health is stifled if we develop fears and are overly concerned about our situation. In Romans 5 verse 5 it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this, it's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And it's that hope that will help us to persevere. True believers love, help and care for each other as well as pray and serve and support each other through our difficulties as a family. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 it says, Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate to protect our heart, and the hope of salvation. So it's, it's the hope of salvation. It's not just the fact that we're saved by Jesus. It's the hope of an eternal salvation that protects our mind, that protects our, um, our head. The Greek word sozo in the Bible is translated as salvation. And salvation can mean forgiveness from sin, from the bad things that we've done, but it also encompasses healing and deliverance. And so when we're talking about the helmet of salvation, we're talking about a, hel a way of thinking that will forgive us of our sins, but also provide protection from evil demonic forces that can affect us in different ways. If we don't have the hope of salvation in God, then we're not wearing a helmet. And we're holding on to fear rather than faith. And we've also let go of that shield of faith that, that protects us from the arrows and the doubts of unbelief. So Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 9 that he can be found in him, in God, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from obeying all the rules, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So that helmet of salvation is Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. And it says in the Bible that we're to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5 in your relationships with each other, have the mind of Christ. And so we can ask ourselves in any situation, what would Jesus do in this situation? What is the right thing for me to do in this situation? And if we're obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading, then God will navigate us through these situations. This brings us to the final piece of armor that we're considering today. And it's found in verse 17. It says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This final piece of armor is the only piece of attacking equipment that we have. All the rest of our armor is defensive. It's to protect our body from attack. But the one weapon that we have 
is God's word. The word translated word here is the Greek word rima. And it usually relates to the spoken word. Now, Jesus went off into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And Satan said, look, you're really hungry. Pick up one of those stones and turn it into bread and eat it. And Jesus quoted verses from scripture to answer what the devil was saying. And so sometimes when we're tempted, God will put a word or a verse in our mind. And as we pray that word or verse and speak it out over our situation, God will help us to triumph through that situation. We can discern what God is saying in these situations. The Holy Spirit will guide our tongue. He will show us what God wants us to say or do. We can proclaim boldly what he says in the Bible, in his word. And as we do that, those words become as effective as a sharp, two-edged sword. We can get to know the Bible in the same way that a soldier would practice using his sword. We can read the Bible, we can memorize it, we can apply it to different situations in our lives. God will bring a verse or a thought or an action into our minds at the appropriate time. But a sword is not good for someone who hasn't been trained. You don't just hand someone a sword and send them off into battle. They've got to learn how to use it. And we've got to take the time to get to know and understand this incredible weapon that God has given us. So we carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in one hand. And in the other hand, we've got our shield of faith. So... To summarize, let's um, look at a diagram that shows all the armor of, um, of a soldier. Okay, so this is the armor that we've, we've been looking at. So we'll start at the top. You've got the helmet of salvation to protect your help, your head, and that protects your thoughts. And then you've got the, the breastplate of righteousness, which protects our vital organs, particularly our heart, and we've got to keep a heart right and true toward God and all people. We've got to walk in truth with a belt, the belt of truth. We have that shield of our faith in Jesus Christ. And then we've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the sandals of the gospel of peace. Through all this teaching on spiritual warfare, what Paul is really saying is put on Jesus Christ because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is our righteousness. He's our peace. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our salvation. Put on Jesus and then you will be more than a match for Satan or any evil force that may come against you. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that life is difficult. Lord, sometimes we, we feel overwhelmed by things that happen to us in this life. We thank you for your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that, Lord, as we wear your armor, as we practice 
peace and doing the right thing and walking in truth and having strong faith in you and Lord keeping our thoughts in the right areas we thank you that you have promised to protect us that you will bring us through this journey called life and that there is a promise of eternal life in your presence forevermore. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have that faith in you, doesn't have that hope in you, Lord, I pray that they will talk to someone who can help them to understand these things so that instead of feeling hopeless, they have the hope that you have promised us all. In Jesus' name, amen.